0: President and venal houseplant Joe Biden says Republicans are semi-fascist, and he's determined to show them how to go the whole hog. In what was either a speech or one of those YouTube videos where they take the Hitler screaming scene from downfall and put in funny subtitles about football, or in this case, Republicans, the president launched a bold new political strategy of demonizing half the country instead of attending to runaway inflation, skyrocketing crime our unprotected border, and the fact that public school teachers don't believe there are two genders because they're not sure how much two is. For those of you who missed the speech because you were busy trying to arrange safe passage to a free country, the Daily Wire has printed out 116 transcripts, which we plan to mail to each and every Republican who is not currently under investigation by the FBI. Biden delivered the speech while standing in front of Philadelphia's Independence Hall, which was lit with hellish, fiery red lights to remind voters of his new campaign slogan, Abandon all hope and change, ye who enter here. Translated from the original German, the speech read as follows, quote, My fellow Americans, and I don't mean you Republicans, we the people, and I don't mean you Republicans, came to this sacred place in Philadelphia to write the Constitution that has at last put total power into my hands. Today, democracy is under threat from MAGA Republicans who are extreme because they don't agree with the majority of Americans, which is 23%, according to public school teachers. These filthy, fascist, disgusting, ugly, stupid MAGA Republicans are full of hate and divisiveness instead of glowing with a kindly aura of love and unity like all of us who oppose those stinking bastards. These MAGA Republicans are demonic, racist, child-devouring zombies. And that's not hyperbole, because I asked some public school teachers to define hyperbole, and they said it was how you greeted your friend if his name is hyperbole. So that's not this. These MAGA Republicans fanned the flames of violence on January 6th. And okay, they weren't real flames like during the George Floyd riots, but those were mostly peaceful flames, which every single Democrat supported, while the flames of January 6th were mean, angry flames, even if they were only make-believe. The MAGA Republicans want to take us backwards to a Trumpy America, where crime was low and the economic gap between blacks and whites was narrowing, and we brought energy out of the ground instead of out of our imaginations, where it's much cleaner because it doesn't actually exist. And sure, that time sounds great, even to me, but I want us to go forward instead into a bright new future that I just know is somewhere out there beyond this utter chaos I've been causing. American democracy is not guaranteed. It's a delicate system where each person <laughs> where each person has a vote, and then we count them till about three in the morning when we send everyone home until we suddenly declare we've won, MAGA Republicans think they can sow doubt about those results, even when we've won. Instead of sowing doubt when we've lost, like good Democrats, they've got it all backwards. And that's why I've come here today to shake my fist and rant, like in one of those YouTube videos with the Hitler screaming scene from Downfall. I love those. And so to all Americans, except you Republicans, I want to say, forward in unity, or else you'll be hearing from the 87,000 IRS agents I'm hiring to audit anyone who doesn't understand what I mean by the word unity, unquote. Some Republicans welcomed the Biden speech. In one breakaway conservative publication called The Dispatch from the Ramparts of the Bulwark of the Remnant, one writer told his audience, quote, listen, mom, while it's true President Biden did sound like a terrifying Nazi madman mouthing the violent hate-filled rhetoric of the leftist authoritarians who secretly dictate his every action, he's not as bad as Donald Trump, who keeps jumping out from under my bed at night laughing about how I used to be important, and now no one listens to me except my mother. Sure, that's only a nightmare, but I just can't take it anymore, unquote. The other 96% of Republicans could not be reached for comment because of poor internet connections in their underground bunkers. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I the hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky shape shaped ipsy topsy, the world is a biddies It's a wonderful day. Hoorah hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurra,
1: hooray, hooray! Oh hooray, hurrah!
0: Here we are once again, friends, laughing our way through the relocation of Republicans to the East. Uh, Britain's great queen, Elizabeth II, Elizabeth the Great, has died. And since I'm going to say something about her that you will not hear anywhere else, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm going to save it for the culture section. And we'll also talk before that about just how fascist Joe Biden is. And David Limbaugh has a new book about Jesus Christ and the church, and we will be talking to him. Please go out, I cannot emphasize enough, and pre-order A Strange Habit of Mind, the sequel to When Christmas Comes, the first Cameron winter uh, mystery. If you haven't gotten the, the first one, get the first one and pre-order this. It really is important. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how to tell you how important it is without uh, sounding like a, a crazy man. So uh, just go out. Just take my word for it. You'll love the book. It's a great. Uh, you know, another reader uh, they had a giveaway where they gave it away to some readers from Mysterious Press, uh, and another reader wanted an advanced copy, and she tweeted, If you have not pre-ordered this book, you are going to miss out. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's even better than Cameron Winter's first book, When Christmas Comes. Go out and get it. Also, subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. This is my personal YouTube channel. You will get... Uh, exclusive copy, uh, exclusive content there that you don't get anywhere else. If you ring that little bell, uh, someone you don't know will die, but we will bring the content directly uh, to your house. And when we're gone, uh, you'll have no more silverware. Also, if you leave a comment uh, and it's sufficiently cruel, to the underdog, you know, anybody who's excluded, if it really excludes them even more, we'll include it uh, on the show because that's what we do here. Uh, Anna Smith just celebrates that we now have 400,000 subscribers. And that's, that's a lot less than much, much lesser people like, you know, Michael Knowles. I I don't want to say Michael Knowles is much, much lesser, but he's much, much lesser. And he has, I think, more subscribers. So you want to go on and subscribe there just to make the universe more fair. All right. Oh, and one more thing. If, uh, if you're in New York, Tuesday, September 27th, Tuesday, September 27th, I will be joining Eric Metaxas uh, for a conversation. He has a program there called Socrates in the City. Go to socratesinthecity.com uh, at the events page. You can register. I got to say, I was in two airports today. They were both packed. People are still traveling. And when you travel, you want to be able to rest easy with the protection of Ring Alarm. Ring Alarm is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. And best of all, you can easily install it yourself. It really is easy, I've done it, and Ring didn't stop there. They've changed the home security game with Ring Alarm Pro. That's why when it comes to protecting your home, you should go pro with Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is whole home security with available professional monitoring. You gotta subscribe to Ring Protect Pro. Ring Alarm Pro combines a security system with a fast Eero Wi-Fi 6 router for home security and network security in one device. This summer and this fall, because it's getting to be fall now, whether you're still traveling or not, you'll know everything at home is protected and connected with Ring Alarm Pro. And with a Ring Protect Pro subscription, which is an amazing deal, you can get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. This busy summer season and into the fall, protect your home with Ring Alarm Pro. Learn more at ring.com forward slash Claven. That's ring.com forward slash Claven. How do you spell Claven? Just go on that ring uh, doorbell and say to the person who's at your door, Do you know how to spell Claven? If he does, set off the alarm. So, in every phase of a nation's life, just like in a person's life, There are elements that are specific to that nation and that person and elements that are universal, right? Everyone goes through childhood and puberty and maturity and midlife and those phases phases have certain characteristics that just about everybody experiences, but not everyone goes through your childhood and your uh, puberty and maturity and midlife. It's specific to you and the same thing is true of nations. They have inevitable life phases that have universal characteristics, but are also specific to that nation. It's the wonderful thing about the Old Testament, by the way. A lot of people don't talk about this, but as an experience Experience. the Old Testament describes something that is specific to the Jewish people, but as history, it's universal. Every nation uh, that is a great nation, that becomes a great nation, goes through certain um, you know phases. It, they see themselves as part of uh, coming out of creation from the very start of the world, and then they form into a people. They migrate to a new land, conquer a new land. Uh, they go from freedom to monarchy to empire, and then to decline and to fall. And it's really the story of every nation that succeeds, It's a, a typical cycle of life, birth, and death, just like in the life of a person. So our nation right now is obviously going through some kind of a, a crisis. There are specific aspects of that crisis, the internet, the rise of China, the left has over of our, our institutions, those are things that don't always happen, but there are also aspects that are really general and universal to crises like this, uh, the rise of extremist views, gender confusion always happens in crisis pl- uh, points like this, uh, and it also passes when the crisis p- passes, um, uh, government stagnation and corruption and mediocrity and political violence, these are all things that happen uh, to nations in crisis. So that raises the question, if this is, if there's something universal about this, how should we as individuals behave during this crisis knowing that it has to happen? It has, these things are inevitable. It has to happen in order for the country to move on through this crisis into something new. So. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking back to a period in my own life which was not a midlife crisis. It was just a midlife event, you know, that something happened where one day, it literally was one morning I woke up, and suddenly my life was meaningless. Like, all the things had gone, all the meaning had gone out of the things that I loved. You know, before, when I went to bed, I was in a life I loved, I was doing work I loved with people I loved, and then suddenly I woke up and my life just seemed absurd. Why was I spending my time writing stories about people who didn't exist, Uh, making up stories about people who didn't exist? What does it all mean, you know? And what kept it from being a crisis was that I immediately identified it as a universal phase in the life of people. It is something that happens to people. It takes about two years to go away. And I decided that I was going to try and make individual decisions so that when I came through the other side of it, I was better off not worse. So I took a look at my life and I decided there were certain things I was going to do that were typical of a midlife crisis and certain things I was not going to do that were typical of a midlife crisis. For instance, I was not going to dump my wife for a younger woman. First of all, I thought it would annoy her uh, and I really like my wife, so I didn't want to get on her nerves. But also it would mean breaking my word, which is something I've literally, even in my worst moments, I have never broken my word in my life. And so I had given my word to her that that was not going to happen and it was not going to happen. But I did some other typical things. I got myself a jazzy sports car. Uh, I learned to fly airplanes and uh, play tennis, and I jumped off cliffs, and I did all kinds of crazy things to sort of make myself, uh, bring myself back to life. And I experimented with different career options, some of which worked great and some of which didn't work at all. And after a while, this time, this period just passed because that's in the nature of human life. As you travel through time, you know, it's a phase of life that happens to people as you travel through time. I came out of it, and I was better off. I had matured into a new us phase of life with more meaning than I even had before and more dedication to certain parts of my work. And I had shed certain things that I didn't need anymore. And it was a good way of growing. So now we're in this difficult phase, similar, and it's up to us whether it's a personal crisis or not. The country is in crisis, but are we in a personal crisis? This is the, you know, I would say it's the post-World War II uh, era, the World War II order is gone. Uh, I think it is the end of the prosperous Reagan era, and the, and which was also the Clinton era, and that's gone. And all our divisions have kind of risen back to the surface uh, with a vengeance. That's, and it's kind of like, I've said this before, but it's kind of like the, the gravity has gone out of the room and we don't know where the furniture is going to be when we land. Are we going to have a new uh, phase of America or is America going to die? Is it going to disappear off the face of the earth? Now, so how do we react as as Individuals in that moment, knowing this is a thing that happens to all nations in their history, uh, obviously political ideas are important. It's important we're on the right side. But something is also happening that's beyond the realm of party politics or this candidate or that candidate. We've lost track of our founding values. Like I said, they, it's kind of the gravity has gone out of a room. Our traditions are sort of falling apart. And it's going to take more than an election and more than a great leader to make America great again. It's going to take people and a culture uh, that can recognize such a leader uh, against the forces that will inevitably try to tear him down. And we have to be able to be the people who that person can lead, right? It doesn't matter. You know, you can't just say, oh, this guy's going to save us or that guy's going to save us. It doesn't work that way. We essentially have to save ourselves. So the question is, while we're passing through this phase, how do we build such a culture? How do we become such a people? So let's go back to the Bible. I was saying that the history of the Jews in the Old Testament is universal. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus reiterates that cycle in his own life, in a single life. Uh, the Old Testament history uh, echoes through Jesus's life. He, his baptism is described with language that is only used, the only other time the language of his baptism is used is in Genesis at the creation. Uh, When he escapes into Egypt, obviously that echoes the Hebrews uh, journeying into Egypt and his relationship to David, the great king, culminates in his entering Jerusalem and being hailed as a king. And even his death and resurrection kind of reiterate the destruction and rebuilding of the Jewish temple, as he himself says. In other words, Jesus is in one person, one eternal person, Contains the history that brought him uh, into the world. So, from that relationship of a God man to history, the early Christians learned something about history. They learned uh, something about history and about themselves. They learned that the nations, as it says in Isaiah or Isaiah, uh, the nations are a drop in the bucket. They come and go. Our nation will come and go. It's going to fall. Everything built by mortal man fall, comes and disappears. But you are eternal. Your individual soul is eternal. Leaders. Come and go. They fail you. They inspire you, but they also fail you. The Psalms tell us you cannot put your faith in uh, in princes, in mortal men who cannot save you. Only God can save you. And this is why the Christian writers didn't care very much about the history of their time. They didn't care whether somebody was a slave or free. They said it doesn't matter. Just be a good slave. Be a good master. Whatever you are, just be a Christian master, a Christian slave. They didn't join a rebellion against Roman authority. People get angry at them for this uh, in the great. Uh, history, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbons wrote that uh, part of the fall of the empire was Christian's fault because they didn't participate in Roman society. And a lot of times they didn't. They opted out because they were on a different journey. They were not on the same journey as the nation. They were on the journey with the nation when the nation was going in the right direction. When the nation went off in bad ways, they just kept going forward. Their journey, the Christian journey, was toward the truth. By way of the truth, and that road remains the same no matter what point you're, of history you're in. It's like you're in a ship; the ship is on the ocean. The North Star is that way. Sometimes the ship goes that way. You got to keep following that North Star, even if it means falling into the water. Because in some national phases, when you tell the truth, when you speak the truth, you win the Nobel Prize or you get a lucrative book deal. In other times, you're knocked off Twitter, or you're audited, or you're thrown in jail, or you're thrown to the lions, or you're nailed to the cross. Different phases of history, react differently to the truth. But in the faith that the nations come and go while you are forever, right, you pay the price in faith and you keep moving toward the North Star. You keep moving toward the truth and speaking the truth and acting with love and compassion no matter what is going on around you. You know, during Obama's run for a second term, Rush Limbaugh, the great, uh, said something to the effect that America can survive a second Obama term, but but it may not survive a people who would give Obama a second term. And I think the same thing is true now. I think we can bring a better country out of times like this. I think the country can actually have a, a new great phase, a new great American century. But we can't do it if we don't become a people who are better than these times, right? If we just sink into these times and we tell ourselves, oh, they're being evil, we have to be evil. The bad guys are being bad, we have to be bad. We have to, you know, yeah, I'll put I'll put the truth first, but first I got to make sure I'm making a lot of money. First, I got to make sure uh, I'm winning this campaign or whatever. Uh, you know, we know this is a time when truth is punished. We know you get kicked off Twitter, you get called what, you get called racist, sexist, whatever. Uh, Some of our guys I know are being harassed because they tell the truth about transgenderism. We try to tell the truth about that here as well. Uh, The Christian answer is the time may not belong to us, but all time belongs to us. We are the eternal things. The country is passing. We are the eternal things. We're not guaranteed victory in the political fight, but if we act as though our spirits uh, were, were in eternity, our victory is is more likely and we will win the victory overall. A better nation, a better nation can only arise out of better people. We have to be those people. Do right, fear nothing. This too will pass. You know, a lot of conservative talkers, they like to panic you about things and tell you you've gotta get some kind of supply for your home. You don't need there doesn't have to be a crisis for you to need a supply of food. There only has to be a weather event or you have to maybe live in California. So that's kind of a crisis or or, you know, any interruption in the food supply chain, which we had when during the covid lockdowns. That's why I'm excited about a deal I made with my Patriot Supply. You save two hundred and fifty dollars on their ready hour, three month emergency food kit when you go to prepare with Claven. Com. This Ready Hour food kit from My Patriot Supply is specially packaged to stay fresh for up to 25 years and it gives you over 2,000 calories a day. These kits are in stock and ship fast with free shipping. It doesn't have to be a major global event. Any kind of emergency could make you thankful that you have real preparedness with Ready Hour foods from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithclavin.com and save $250. On the emergency food kit you're going to need, prepare with Clavin.com. And you're saying, well, now I'm panicked, but I don't know how to spell Clavin. It's (laughs) K-L-A. That's what I was going to tell you. So if for some reason you didn't believe me when I said that this is a period when telling the truth comes with fairly severe consequences, uh, you really had to look at that Biden speech last week. Last week, I had to record the show early because the shop was closed for Friday. So I recorded it when he was preparing to give this speech uh, at Liberty Hall in Philadelphia. And I had not seen it yet. I knew he was going to say some ugly stuff. I had no idea how ugly it was going to be. The red lighting, uh, the nasty look on his face, the nasty things he said. It was an ugly, ugly, ugly speech uh, full of division and anger. And it was threatening. It was a threat to the 74 to 5 million people who voted for Donald Trump. Here's just a quick, I'm not gonna go through it. I'm sure you've heard most of it. Uh, here's just a quick clip.
2: I'm an American president, not a president of red America, blue America, but of all America. And I believe it's my duty, my duty to love with you, to tell the truth, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now, as I speak, in state after state, to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers undermine democracy itself
0: what a dirtbag i mean if i'm not i'm not a red or blue president but screw you red americans I, I was joking about it in the opening but i i was genuinely appalled by some of these anti-trump republicans look i don't care if you're an anti-trump republican everybody has a conscience everybody has a right to act on his own but these people have let trump drive them insane uh liz cheney she had a tweet Trump is attacking law enforcement and yet again using language he knows will provoke violence. Only one group of Americans has a chance to diminish this danger. Republicans, if my Republicans, fellow Republicans, fail to step up to stop this, they will share the blame for all that follows. Most, most, the lion's share, the huge lion's share of political violence in this country is committed by the left, but it's not counted as political violence because the press is so corrupt. David French, he says, there was a lot I didn't like about Biden's speech, but when the OK groomer crowd, that's me, when the OK groomer crowd gets mad about his tone, or the folks who are constantly calling Democrats communists or even demonic get upset about words like semi-fascist, I'm sensing a certain kind of energy. And then he plays a, he put a, in a clip of uh, somebody uh, flopping in soccer. Of course, he'd be watching soccer. But, but look, this is the president of the United States. This is a powerful man, you know, a commentator calling sexually dysphoric teachers who are trying to teach eight-year-olds about homosexuality and, and he calls them groomers. You know, this that's that may be tough, but it's fair when a president demonizes seven you know, this is what he said he said that maga republicans that's people who vote for trump that's 96% of republicans don't recognize the will of the people they refuse to accept the results of a free election and they're working right now as i speak in state after state to give power to decide elections in america to partisans and cronies that's a lie that's a lie all they did was dial back the loosening of the rules and and that was some of which were unconstitutional according to the states they were in they dialed back those things that happened because of the lockdown and and covid So what he's basically doing is sowing doubt about any upcoming election and blaming it on the Republicans. That's an ugly, stupid, wicked thing to do. And just, you know, to make sure we understand the hypocrisy of it, this is from Power Tie. It's a uh, montage of reactions of Democrats to Donald Trump's election. And this is from pundits to the head of the party, namely Hillary Clinton.
2: He says that Trump is not a legitimate president-elect. The illegitimate presidency of Donald Trump. Uh,
0: I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. What James Clapper is saying is that Donald Trump... Is illegitimate. He is an illegitimate president of the United States because he's had this nagging sense that he is perceived as an illegitimate president.
1: Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. Is an illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president. When you have a
2: potentially illegitimate president,
1: it looks like an illegitimate president.
2: Suggest Donald Trump is an illegitimate president.
0: The implication is that Donald Trump is not a legitimate president of the United States. So at least we're not undermining the you know, legitimacy of elections. But you know, so you ask yourself, you listen to this speech, and it's a threatening speech. When you demonize people, if people are demons, you can do anything you want to them. When you demonize half the electorate, right, you have to ask yourself, is this serious? Well, I think, I think Joe Biden himself said it best. Not a joke. Not a joke. I'm not joking.
2: Not a joke, not a joke. No, I'm not joking. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke, not
0: a joke. You know, this is, I mean, you're talking, when David French compares him to pundits, this is a guy who just is pouring billions of dollars into the IRS. Obviously, they're going to be auditing middle class people because they're not auditing rich people. And who are they going to check? Remember, Dan Henninger was writing about this in The Wall Street Journal, uh, that the Internal Revenue Service was unleashed during Barack Obama's first term on small Tea Party groups uh, who were trying to get you know tax exemptions for free speech. And the IRS investigated them. Lois Lerner became a household name. Uh, and re- you remember, Barack Obama said, that's awful. If that happened, heads will roll Absolutely nothing happened. He came on said, not a smidgen, not a smidgen of uh, corruption in the IRS. You know, that, was, that silenced the Tea Party. It effectively took the Tea Party out of the game by using the most powerful uh, organization, agency in the country to come after them and slow walk their exemptions. So now, you know, the, the, you have the DOJ. You have the DOJ uh, they were appealing the ruling of the federal judge, Eileen Cannon, ruled that Trump can have a special master to look at the papers, to check the papers that were taken by an army of FBI agents who stormed his home in Mar-a-Lago with guns, searched his children's rooms, his child's room, searched his wife's room, took out these... Uh, these documents, and now is leaking to the press, saying, "Well, this is in them, and that is in them." When we, you know, we don't have no idea what's in them. And the judge said, "Well, look, you know, with everything so tense and the country so divided, let's have a, 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 a uh, an objective person come in and make sure none of Trump's rights are being violated." Right. So the DOJ is appealing that decision, which is part of their right. But the New York Times, a former newspaper, is like deeply problematic. This is their headline, experts question judges' intervention in Trump inquiry. And then they go and cast aspersions on the judge. You know, it's really interesting the way they write these things. Uh, they write them the first like five paragraphs, they say, is our Trump appointee? And she's this. And some people say she hasn't got enough experience. And, you know, and by the way, she's a woman and you know what they're like. They don't quite say that, but they almost say it. Then when she get down to like Paragraph 16 on the jump page, you start to see things like everybody admires her, respects her, her grades were great, you know, that kind of thing. So this is not, you know, all they're saying is that an objective person should look at this. But no, the DOJ is saying we can do this. You can trust this. Now, can we trust the DOJ in the... Newspaper of record, the New York Post, uh, Miranda Devine, who was on the show, uh, she has a story about FBI agent Timothy Tebal, uh, who has just retired, amid an investigation by the Office of Special Counsel into his anti-Trump social media posts. And you remember Tony Bobolinsky he was on Tucker Carlson show, he was Hunter Biden's business partner. 11 days before the last election, he went to the FBI and told them about his inside knowledge of uh, Joe Biden's involvement in his son's business deals with China. He had revealed that Joe Biden was the big guy who was supposed to get 10 percent cut of uh, Hunter Biden's influence peddling. Uh, He gave the FBI contents of three cell phones containing encrypted messages. All of that stuff, all of that stuff disappeared. And according to Senator Chuck Grassley's whistleblowers, uh, T-Bolt allegedly ordered the matter closed without providing a valid reason as required by FBI guidelines. And it's alleged that FBI officials, including Tebalt, uh subsequently attempted to improperly mark the matter in FBI systems so that it could not be opened in the future. He locked it up to prevent other agents, more honest agents, from getting in there. Now he's kind of retired, and they're investigating him. But you know, this is some. How much do we trust the DOJ? This is the organization we're supposed to trust. We're also, and we're the bad guys if we question them and if we wonder about the fairness of elections. You know, I'm not convinced the election was stolen the way Trump said it was, but it was rigged. There's no question that it was rigged. The silencing of the Hunter Biden story uh, and all the reforms that the Republicans have done are put perfectly legitimate. Uh, and, you know, if you've got an, a politicized IRS and a politicized Justice Department, remember, it's what is it? It was last October, okay? It was last October. It was about a year ago. Merrick Garland, corrupt DOJ Mer- <laughs> Attorney General Mer- Merrick Garland. I really think they should just, for Democrats, they should just now call it that, corrupt Attorney General. Uh, he had directed the FBI to investigate pa- uh, parents who had shown up at PTA meetings protesting the crap that was being taught to their children, uh, the the. Uh- critical race theory, which is being slipped in to their children's lives. It just, it's just so ugly. the stuff is so ugly. This is, this is the head of Trinity School, which I was living in New York for a long time. Trinity School is a major school. She's the head of student relations there. Project Veritas got this secret tape of her saying that she's slipping all this information, all this CRT stuff uh, into her curriculum. Here it is. <laughs> would not feel completely. I don't hide how I feel, but but I can't pretend I'm promoting myself. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm the gen yeah. you know, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I started there, I, was, I hit my whole life. I felt like a double agent
2: or something.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the white boys who feel like uh, very entitled to express their Opposite opinions and yeah. just pushbacks. Well, there's a huge contingent of them that are just like horrible. They're really awful. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I I'm afraid of
2: with the, my white students that are rich. You yeah. know, show Dexter. Oh yeah. like <laughs> we just need some vigilante Dexter. So oh yeah. Here's your community of targets.
0: So you guys wouldn't let like cons- Republican perspectives on campus. That's it's just nice we don't have to hide our activism outside of school. We don't have to hide who we are. Like, we can bring our
2: whole selves to work
0: and do the important work. Now, you know, this is really ugly, dangerous stuff, that critical race theory. I don't care what anybody says about it. It is racism straight up. It should not be polluting the schools. When, when uh, parents go out and protest it, they should not be investigated by the FBI. So we've got a, a dodgy DOJ, a dodgy FBI, a dodgy IRS, an overstocked IRS, and here's something else this is from Spencer Brown from Town Hall he says in an ominous open letter published on wonky national security site war on the rocks eight former secretaries of defense and five former chairmen of the joint chiefs of staff warned of what they call an exceptionally challenging civil military environment so this is, includes ash carter bob gates chuck hagel jim maddison panetta these are big guys right in the uh, defense uh, you know in the defense industry They say, they talk about the divisiveness of effective polarization that culminated in the first election in over a century when this peaceful transfer of political power was disrupted and in doubt, right? So they're talking basically about Trump. And they say, looking ahead, all of these factors could well get worse before they get better, so it's helpful to review core principles and best practices. And then they say military officers swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution, not an oath of fealty to an individual or to an office. All civilians, whether they swear an oath or not, are likewise obligated to support and defend the Constitution as their highest duty. So what is it, what are they saying? They're saying Trump could get reelected, get ready to disobey the orders of the commander in chief of the armed forces that's what they're they're saying speaking uh, to town hall former former deputy assistant to the secretary of defense amber smith said uh, healthy civil military relations are incredibly important to the United States. She said it's completely hypocritical for these former defense secretaries uh, to preach about how important civ mill relations are while setting the stage for using military leaders and officials to undermine the president. They are getting ready for Trump's second term. When you demonize people, when you demonize President Trump, I mean, Pre- look, you've heard me criticize President Trump. You yell at me for doing it. I do it because I think it's the truth. But, you know, what did he do that makes him a demon like this? This is ridiculous. Point to something. Be specific about what he did. And what did we do when we defended the Constitution, when we said that MAGA, we wanted to make America great again, and Hillary Clinton, that career criminal, was not the person to do it? What did we do? They demonize us so they can do anything they want to us. They can silence us. They can investigate us. They can audit us. They even can disobey the the commands of their commander in chief. So when you look at that speech, this is not just rhetoric. When you look at that speech and you ask, is this guy serious? Joe Biden himself said it best,
2: not a joke, not a joke, I'm not joking, not a joke, not a joke. No, I'm not joking. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. Not a joke.
0: So I don't know if you've been following uh, on The Daily Wire, we've been following the tragic death of actress Anne Hesch, that really was sad, she was a really good actress. But the underreported part of that story is that Hesh died without a will, leaving her 20-year-old son to file court papers to control her estate. Don't let this happen to you. I worry about it myself because I don't want my kids to get my money. Uh, Take five minutes to set up your will with epic Will today. A complete will package with Epic Will provides you with so much more than just protection of your assets. They bundle your last will, living will, healthcare power of attorney, HIPAA release, and durable financial power of attorney in one easy package to make sure that your entire legacy, everything you leave behind, is protected. And they make it incredibly easy and affordable. It only costs 119 bucks for a single person to create a will. And when you use promo code CLAVEN, you'll save. 10%. Your life is constantly changing. Your kids are going off to college. They're getting married and talking about grandchildren. You have to be constantly looking ahead. I think about this all the time because I could go like that any minute. You know how old I am. Go to epicwill.com and use promo code Clavin to save 10% on Epic Will's Complete Will Package. That's epicwill.com, promo code Claven. But before you kick off, you got to know how to spell clavin. It's Clavin. <laughs> That's it. So we're talking about going through this, this crisis phase when people are so divided and you get extremists like that extreme uh, politics like Joe Biden's speech uh, and also the con- you know, condoning political violence like the Democrats did in the uh, summer of the George Floyd riots and like some people did on January 6th. I mean, I, I thought that was also a disgusting event, but I thought it was much less, uh, Problematical than the George Floyd riots because the George Floyd riots were based entirely uh, on a lie and were incredibly violent and much more uh, fatal. Uh, And every Democrat supported them. No Democrats spoke out against them. Where many Republicans spoke out against January sixth, including on this show, including me. Uh, You know, so that really they're not comparable. But. And the question is always, it's, it's scary. Is this crisis the end? Is this the end of America? Or is it a phase into which we'll build a better America? I'm actually pretty hopeful. And one reason is, is I think a turning point in this phase was the lockdown and um, during COVID, during the Chinese flu, the lockdown, because it showed that these people are mediocrities. We're being led by mediocrities. And I think a lot of people are starting to get this. And I think that is also being revealed in the leadership uh, of the, through the green movement, this green stuff. Uh, you know, it's a good thing we have uh, the federalism because we get to watch California and see how bad things are under leftist government. Uh, you know, right now we have banks uh, testing companies for how, before they give them money uh, to see how their policies will affect the weather in a hundred years. And you know what the answer is? They don't know. They have no idea. They have zero idea. Uh, and they say, oh, yes, we know exactly. They don't know. And if they knew, they couldn't do anything about it. So all of this stuff is fake, but they're putting it all into place in California. And I love the fact they want everybody to buy an electric car. They've banned uh, gas guzzling cars uh, in the up. I, I can't remember when it is. It's like 2035 or something, but now they have no electricity, so you can't charge your cars, and they're in the midst of a heat wave, which they say is unprecedented, but it's not. The heat in uh, California does go up uh, to three figures uh, from time to time, and it's doing that now. And of course, they're terrified their electric grid is going to fail. And so before, uh, so Gavin Newsom comes out, this this is hilarious. I'll tell you why it's hilarious after he says it, but here is Gavin Newsom. Well, I'll tell you now, he's wearing a fleece and a hat. Why? Because he's obviously in a highly air conditioned room. So he's wearing all his warm clothes and this is what he has to say. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days.
1: Individuals, the state, industries, business, all doing their part to help reduce strain on the grid. Now here's specifically what you can do in the early morning hours, particularly tomorrow and the next day or so, pre-cool your home. Run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available. And we encourage you to close your windows and blinds to keep your home cool as well. And today and tomorrow afternoon after 4 p.m., in particular 4 p.m., please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher
0: and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. And of course, you want to drink your own urine and we're not wishing anything bad on your parents. But if they should die from the heat, make sure to ice them so you can eat them later. Uh, You know, this is California. This state should be paradise and would be paradise if it weren't run by Democrats. And by the way, you know, they have pour all these subsidies into solar and wind power. And that's because their buddies are there. That's that's because those are the people who are electing them. They're giving them money. And so what happens? They then close the nuclear uh, gener- generators and gas generators uh, that, ha- you know, they make it harder for for them. So they have to run around the clock and save money. And many of them have shut down. And that means that they lack the energy they need and have to bring it in from other states. So it's a complete, absolute, complete uh, boondoggle. In Europe, prices are skyrocketing for the winter. That's because they relied on uh, Russian uh, energy and Trump warned them about it and they laughed. Uh, I'm sure the EU is you know, proposing all these very harsh measures. I'm sure the British, if they weren't so busy mourning the death of their uh, of their queen, they'd be celebrating the fact that they're not in the EU anymore. But here is here is the thing. Here is Bjorn Lomborg, the uh, reasonable uh, environmentalist. He had a piece in the New York Post, the newspaper of record, and here's what he says. He says in the 1920s, around half a million people were killed by weather disasters, whereas in the last decade, the death toll averaged around. 18,000. Big drop. From the 1920s, half a million people were killed by weather disasters. Now, in the last decade, 18,000. Around 1900, he says, around 4.5% of the land area of the world would burn every year. Over the last century, this declined from 4.5 to 3.2. In the last two decades, satellites show even further decline. In 2021, just 2.5% burned. And despite what you may have heard about record-breaking costs from weather disasters, mainly because wealthier populations build more expensive houses along coastlines, damage costs are declining, not increasing as a percent of GDP. Now, all of this, by the way, these declines in weather-related deaths and disasters are because of capitalism, because we've gotten so rich, we can defend ourselves from the effect of bad weather. He goes on. A decade ago, environmentalists loudly declared that Australia's magnificent Great Barrier Reef was nearly dead, killed by bleaching caused by climate change. The UK Guardian even published an obituary. Okay? This year, scientists revealed that two thirds of the Great Barrier Reef shows the highest coral cover seen since records began in 1985. The Good News Report got a fraction of the attention. Not long ago, environmentalists constantly used pictures of polar bears to highlight the dangers of climate change. Polar bears featured in Al Gore's terrifying movie An Inconvenient Truth. The reality is that polar bear numbers have been increasing from somewhere between five and 10,000 polar bears in the 1960s up to around 26,000 today. We don't hear this news. Instead, campaigners just quietly dropped using polar bears in their activism. The deadliest environmental problem, air pollution, was four times more likely to kill you in 1920 than today, mostly through people in poverty cooking and heating with dung and woods. As we get richer, we handle these things Better, consider all the attention devoted to heat waves. In the United States and many other parts of the world, heat deaths are actually declining because access to air conditioning helps much more than rising temperatures hurt. However, almost everywhere the cold quietly kills many more. What happened to global warming? The cold is killing people much more. On a broader scale, global warming prompts celebrities and politicians to fly around the world in private jets lecturing the rest of us while we spend less on problems like hunger, infectious diseases, and a lack of basic schooling. When did politicians and movie stars ever meet for an important cause like deworming children? Climate change fear is causing life changing anxiety. You might be hearing nothing but bad news, but that doesn't mean you're hearing the full story you know at the big turning points in history uh you know think leadership changes winston churchill in his wonderful memoir of his youth said that he was there at a dinner party before world war one with all of the leaders of the free world the most powerful heads of europe were there he was at another dinner party uh after world war one and there were all the leaders of the of europe were there and they were all different people uh, this is a changing of the guard that we're going through. This crisis is going to mean a changing of the guard. It's a changing of generations. Uh, these people have proved themselves utterly incompetent. They have proved themselves incompetent during COVID. They've themso- they're proving themselves incompetent in California. They're proving themselves incompetent in their panic over uh, climate change. I can't promise, obviously, that we're going to survive, but I believe we will. And instead of getting roped into their anger, uh, which is the devil's cocaine or accepting the logic that if they're evil, we have to be evil, we want to come out of this phase as a man or a woman of truth, as better people ready to build a better country. I definitely, definitely think we can do that. You know, I mentioned earlier that I bought a beautiful uh, sports car at one point in my life. And you may have a great sports car, but you may be wondering how come I still can't get dates? One, it's not running. And two, you haven't gone to rockauto.com to get the parts you need. Because when you say rockauto.com, you'll have a date so fast you may not even have a chance to fix your car first by going to rockauto.com and getting all the car parts you need at great prices right off your computer. The reason that turns women on is first of all it's the voice rockauto.com just listen to the way that sounds. You know the women just come flocking for that, but also it makes your car run and shows them that you're smart enough not to pretend that your car can drive down to a shop where they're going to, you know, sell you something you don't need. You can choose right off that easy to use catalog in your computer what parts you need and you can get them at reliably low prices that are the same whether you're a DIYer or a professional. So go to rockauto.com for all the parts you need at affordable prices and an easy catalog. It's rockauto.com and put Claven when you they have a little box that says where did you hear about us? Say Claven, but you got to say it the same way. K-L-A-V-A-N, Claven. I'm telling you, you you will see your life will change. All right, the queen of my my former home and my second favorite nation has died uh, after a 70-year reign. Long live the king, King Charles III. Uh, Elizabeth II. She took the throne during Harry Truman's presidency. Uh, it was before I was born, as proving at least that there actually was a time before I was born. Uh, she met 13 presidents. Uh, one of her favorite, I think, her favorite was Reagan. She loved Reagan. Uh, 15 prime ministers. Liz Truss, the new prime minister, as of like three days ago, uh, will now be the first prime minister since Churchill to serve under two monarchs. Uh, she took the throne right after World War II, and uh, I guess it was 1952. I think uh, she served. She was the last public official who to have served in the military in World War II, in uniform. Um, she oversaw the more or less. A willing retreat from the empire, and you're going to hear the left complaining, all oh, the horrible British empire. The British empire was one of the best things that ever happened to humankind. Uh, you always remember that both uncivilized and civilized nations commit atrocities, terrible atrocities, uh, but only civilized nations improve the common lot of humankind. Uh, empire is a way of spreading the best ideas, the good ideas. Uh, it's a brute way. I hope we find a better way than empire, but they spread the ideas that led to our constitution. Uh, And she oversaw their more or less peaceful withdrawal from that. I always hate when people, when somebody important dies and they show pictures of her in her last days uh, all the time. Let's go back. Here's a a little clip of her and her celebrating her 21st birthday. About, I guess that would be about four years, I think, before she became queen. She's Princess Elizabeth here.
2: I can make my solemn act of dedication with a whole empire listening. I should like to make that dedication now. It is very simple. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong.
0: And you're dedicated to your service. And we'll get back to that concept of service. That's the word you're going to hear over and over and over again about her. It's a very important uh, word. You're going to have, listen, you're going to hear a lot of historical stuff. You're not going to have to get that here. I'm going to say something a little different. A lot of people have been eulogizing. Her, of course, and the King Charles III made his speech uh, just a couple of minutes ago, his first speech. The best speech I've heard so far uh, was from Boris Johnson, uh, the last prime minister uh, who spoke in parliament for about eight minutes. Uh, Here's a little bit of that. Think what we asked of
2: her in that moment, not just to be the living embodiment
0: in, in her DNA of the history and continuity and unity of this country, but to be the figurehead of our entire system. The keystone in the vast arch of the British state, a role that only she could fulfill because in the brilliant and durable bargain of the constitutional monarchy, only she could be trusted to be above any party political or commercial interest and to incarnate impartially the very concept and essence of the nation so that's the concept i'm going to be talking about she was Incarnated. She was the incarnation of the of the concept of Britain. I remember this. I lived in, um, in Britain, in London, uh, for most of the 90s. And I remember being very touched and moved by her Christmas address every year when she would come on and talk about uh, the year and the things that had happened. It had the strange effect of stopping the world for a few minutes. Uh, and you could look at it, the world for a minute without the politics. All of that faded away. And she was just the incarnation of Britain uh, speaking. She stood for Britain. I was there during the tumult uh, that happened. Uh, when um uh King Charles III, uh n- then Prince Charles's marriage collapsed to Princess died the very popular princess died uh, in 1992 uh, at her 40th uh, anniversary, the celebrating her 40th year as queen. She made her famous Annis Horribilis speech. That's Latin for horrible year. The tabloids called it her bum year uh, because Annis sounds like anus and bum is the British word for backside. So that was the culture she was speaking into, this vulgarian culture, this culture that was collapsing. But she remained this dignified person who said wonderfully of this terrible year she had. She said, 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. So that was the culture in her bum year, <laughs> get it, get it, and her speaking in that beautiful way, um, and uh, this, the, her horrible year was the year in which Prince Andrew uh, dumped his wife, Fergie, and she showed up in the tabloids with her new lover sucking her toes or something, uh, and then, of course, the revelations came that Princess Diana gave an interview uh, breaking sort of that cone of silence around the, the throne uh, about how her marriage to Prince Charles, which had been this fairy tale marriage that everybody loved, and everyone loved her, uh, and how it was just an absolute disaster. And the the thing that's really interesting to this is, is that she came to power because of a scandal, Edward VIII's abdicating uh, the throne so he could marry the divorcee, Wallace Simpson. Uh, that shifted things so that her Elizabeth's father became the king and it put her in the line of succession. And then she reigned for 70 years without a scandal, but her children began to have that scandal, the scandals, uh, the Princess Di marriage, uh, the, you know, Andrew and Fergie and of course now uh, her grandson giving up his duties uh, to go off with this loudmouth egotistical American act- actress Meghan Markle. a uh, wonderful headline recently. Megan Markle won't hide. I thought just she let her hide. she hasn't she hasn't hidden for two seconds. she's such an egotist. Here's the thing that got me about her too when I lived there was I had a lot of friends across the spectrum, across the political spectrum. I had far, far leftist friends. I had middle of the road friends. I had some conservative friends or conservative people that I knew. And not and many of them thought the monarchy was old fashioned. We should get rid of it. Not one of them was willing to say they should get rid of it while Elizabeth was queen. Nobody thought they could or would want to destroy it while she was on the throne. And why? Why is that? Uh, How could she reach out across the island? It's simple. She did the job she was asked to do. The job that Boris described. She incarnated the nation, and she did it through service. Right. And now the reason service is is so important, that word is so important, is it is the essence of a Christian leader, right? Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the superiors exercise authority over them, right? So you get that kind of that Joe Biden type thing. Uh, but it shall not be that way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And that's why uh, Jesus washed the feet of the apostles. As a, she represented the nation, she incarnated the nation, the spirit of the nation as a servant. This is the Britain of the imagination. So when you saw her, you saw Britain. So why do some leftists, leftists are sneering at her death, the, you know, ha ha, she's dead in the, the terrible uh, colonial system that she represented is over. But, you know, it's more than that. It's much more than politics the idea of kingship began to recede in the age of revolutions, right? Our revolution when we chose not to have a king, even though Washington could have been crowned king. Uh, And then the French revolution when the uh, famous uh, philosopher Denis Diderot uh, wrote a poem that's frequently paraphrased, man will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. Very fierce way of saying we've got to get rid of these people. Why did that happen? Why was that so terrible to them? Was it that kings, all kings were tyrants? Was it that the peasants were starving and the king was like Mel Brooks running around after the women? No, I mean, because that's happening now. As, as Boris Johnson pointed out in his speech, the queen drove her own car. It was only the politicians, as he said, who have their you know bulletproof cars and their security detail and all that. The queen was driving around the Scottish Highlands uh, in her own car. So what is the hostility toward kings? It's because in this period of revolution, the idea of God was beginning to die. And when the idea of God dies, the idea that there is a realm of meaning above nature, above nature, which is just flesh and blood, our flesh, that there's a realm of meaning above that goes out of fashion. What do you mean you represent Britain? There is no Britain. Britain is just us. It's just this piece of ground. There's just this history. It's just this thing they're doing. There can't be uh, a, a supernatural Britain a Britain of the imagination, a Britain of the mind, a Britain that exists, whether Britain uh, is there or not. Just like when we talk about the church, we don't mean the Vatican, we don't mean this church or that mean church. We mean the church in our minds, the church that exists as an abstract thing. And this is the issue we're re- we're wrestling with all of us today. Do we represent anything? Do we represent? Is this just a body that comes and goes, meat with chemicals inside, and it's, when it's dead, it's gone, or? Is this body like a word that represents an idea? This body represents a self, me. You know, your body represents a self, you. If that's not true, if that's not true, you start to ask yourself, well, you know, I have a body of a man, but what's manhood that it should be represented by me? Do I have a responsibility to be manly? If you're a woman, do you have a responsibility to be womanly, to be feminine? Uh, Or are you free to be whatever you want to be? Just because you were born that way, why can't you cut up your body and make it look different and have a a different sex and tell everybody you're a different sex? What is your responsibility to the way you were born? Why should the queen, just because she was born in that bloodline, represent England? You heard Boris Johnson say it. She represented it in her DNA. And this can, be a complicated question. Not all the answers are easy. I I was born a Jew and many Jews uh, write to me and say, you know, you did an irresponsible thing by accepting Christ. You should have explored your own religion. I I did explore it. That's not fair. But but still, you know, they feel that the very fact that I was born a Jew means that I'm responsible to upholding my Jewishness. And it's a really complicated question. Uh, If you read my memoir, I wrestled with that very question uh, for months and months when I realized I believed in Christ and obviously made the decision that I made. But then there is yourself. There's the fact that you represent yourself. The queen represents England, but you represent yourself. And you know, it's only when you give up that representation that you think you can do whatever you want, right? There's a a moral world. If you represent yourself, then shouldn't you be living into that self you represent? Obviously, that self you represent isn't your body because your body comes and goes. Uh, it It is something else. It is something you sense yourself to be. You know you should be, but you aren't. So you ask yourself, well if there's no supernatural morality, if there's no meaning to my actions, if when I give a beggar bread, that means exactly the same thing as if I torture a child to death. There's no supernatural world in which one is, uh, and when I say supernatural, I mean above nature, the meaning of nature. There's no supernatural meaning in which one thing is bad and one thing is good. Then I can just rewrite morality to be whatever I think it is, whatever serves me uh, in the moment. We don't you know, if, if we represent a spirit, then we have to consult that spirit. We have to consult our conscience. We have to consult our traditions because other people have consulted consciences and we're piling up all that information. We have to consult all that stuff and our reason to get rid of old moralities that don't work anymore or weren't right to be- begin with. And we are responsible to that supernatural world. But with the death of God, with the death of God, Western culture decided that no one could represent anything and what you wanted personally became all, right? You couldn't represent a country or an idea. Marriage, your marriage didn't represent Christ in the church. None of that was going to work anymore. It was just about what you want. So the Edward VIII, when he ran off with with Wallace and said, I cannot continue without the help and support of the woman I love, was basically saying my responsibility to the crown doesn't matter. I don't represent England. I am just myself. When Meghan Markle says, oh, I can't do this. This is too hard. And she runs back to America and her mansion to weep about how badly she's being treated. She is saying the same thing. In between this, in between this, for 70 years, the queen defied that modern idea simply by showing that she could do it, that she could in fact represent Britain, an idea of Britain and make that idea come to life. Uh, in people's minds. People in England dreamed about the queen. They're weeping for the queen. They're going. This is going to be a genuine emotional shock that they're going to have to go through. Uh, I was talking to some British friends just a couple of weeks ago. They were over my house, and they were talking about this is going to be something very difficult for us to deal with uh, and for everybody to deal with because she did the thing that you, they said you can't do. They say, well, you can't represent manhood. You can't represent womanhood. You don't have any responsibility to your body. You don't have any responsibility to the way you were made. Queen Elizabeth said, yes, I do, and I will, and she did, and that disproves everything that they said. She proved it as the culture around her became vulgar and foul-mouthed and egotistical. She remained true to the idea of who she was and who she was born to be. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing disproof of the modern idea. It is an amazing disproof of, it's not a disproof of individual freedom. It's a disproof of the idea that individual freedom has no limits. That Individual freedom is not responsible. It's not a collaboration with God, with the things that you are made, and with the moral world that you were made. So when we talk about the crisis that our country is going through, and when you wonder how you can change the culture, how you can come through this current crisis to a better America, with a better population, with better people, you have to ask yourself this. What do you represent? What were you made? to represent? What are your responsibilities to the way you were born and who you were born as? What do you symbolize to people, to your children, to your wife, to your husband? What do you symbolize to them? What do you make incarnate and what person, what morality, what soul? It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. The power of a single person who lives into the meaning of her life who lives into that supernatural meaning of her life. You don't have to be queen to do that. You don't have to be a king to do that. You can just be an ordinary person living into the meaning of who God made them to be. That's why people are going to be so upset by this. That's why people are going to miss her. Even people who didn't don't live in England, who don't care about England, are going to understand that when she passed, something big left the scene. Are you still giving your money to woke razor companies that hate your values, see masculinity as toxic, and think you should teach your daughter to shave her beard? There is a better way. Jeremy's razors are 100% real and 100% woke Free. They're what I use when I'm shaven clavin. The premium matte tungsten handle has more heft than the left. The razor head pivots without caving and has six blades that are sharper than truth. Those other razor companies keep virtue signaling to the totalitarian left and using your money to do it But you don't have to let them. When you buy Jeremy's Razors, you aren't just making Jeremy richer, though you're doing that. You're making the woke left poor. 75,000 people have already made the switch. Visit jeremysrazors.com to get your Founders Series Shave Kit today. That's jeremysrazors.com. Jeremy's Razors, shut up and shave. All right, I am really happy to have David Limbaugh here. He is always great. We had him on when when he started the uh, best-selling Jesus series. He's now got a new book in the series that he wrote with his uh, daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. It's called The Resurrected Jesus: The Church in the New Testament. It's already a bestseller on Amazon. David, it is great to see you again. How are you doing,
1: Andrew? Great to see you. I'm doing really well. Thank you.
0: So this this now we we've gotten beyond Jesus's life now we're now talking about the after the resurrection is that right
1: Yes yes and the, well, the last book Jesus is risen kind of a same kind of title uh covered the book of acts and six of Paul's epistles this book covers the other seven epistles by Paul
0: Okay so what so what is it what is it Paul is trying to do uh, when this book starts Well
1: he's having Uh, So he writes the letters to the churches, which are experiencing heresies, false teachers, trouble from within the church. It's very important for him that Christian doctrine remain pure, because if it's diluted by false gospels, by syncretism, or any other uh, corrupting influence, he obviously knows that Christianity will be destroyed or corrupted in its infancy, or it won't spread like it should. So he basically is correcting these churches who have gone astray reprimanding the false teachers who are introducing heresies such as that jesus either isn't fully god or isn't fully man and various other heresies and he's correcting them in this in these letters that will eventually become scripture and he may not have known that these were addressed to the churches but he was really writing it under god's the the, the influence of the holy spirit and now these are while he was explaining these heresies and how they're wrong and what the true gospel is, it of course becomes scripture and doctrine for all of us throughout throughout the ages. So they made it into scripture, but he's also giving instructions for Christian living and that type of thing in these epistles.
0: Do you feel you know? I've I've often heard people say this, and there are moments when I've kind of toyed with this idea that that Paul and Jesus seem to be saying something different. That uh, that the the message has changed in some way. Some people say that in a derogatory way. Some people just mean that he's adding uh, he's adding philosophy to the to what Jesus said. Where do you stand on this?
1: I I strongly reject that, and I think part of the reason they do it is just like Biden demonizing Trump and Trump supporters the other day if they can discredit Paul as a sexist and then and then pretend that he was harsh and Jesus presented all salt and light message then they can corrupt Christianity themselves and discredit us the truth is Jesus gave a very stern message i am the way the truth and the life there's no other way to the father except through me and he i came to divide i didn't he wasn't the great uniter people have that, that all wrong he 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 knew that the evil forces were running this this world, and he he would stand for truth. He is truth. Paul refurbished that. Paul reinforced that. And the the, the main gospel message is that Jesus Christ became a, a man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And by becoming a human being, he could experience the same type of sufferings that we human beings do, then ultimately die on the cross so that those who had faith in him would be redeemed. Gospel, the, the uh, salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Paul said. So I think there may be some minor, there may be some things that Paul augmented, and I'm sure there are, otherwise there wouldn't have been any reason for him to write those books. He elaborates on other things. Jesus was living and explaining his message through the through the apostles. Paul's later writing these after his conversion experience, and he's developing doctrine for the purpose of the church so that we, would, we Christians would have uh, reasons to defend reasons we can defend our faith, which we are charged to do.
0: You know, there's you talk about him fighting heresies, and there's you know, but Paul could be. Uh cantankerous. I mean, he could be pet- yes. petulant. And there's, a, I guess, it's in uh, Galatians where he gets so angry at people preaching that uh, that you had to stick to certain Jewish uh, doctrines like circumcision. He says, I, "I wish anybody who was in favor of circumcision would go the whole way and emasculate themselves." Yeah. And it's, <laughs> Well, I mean, you're you ticked and, off. No. So what he's saying is,
1: Jesus alone, faith in Jesus alone is is what is required for salvation when you go back when the judaizers they they were again i don't want to be offensive to jews i love jews we all we Christians, you're a messianic but i'm just saying what what the situation was uh some of these judaizers who wanted to reintroduce the jewish rules and laws on top of the gospel and paul said by doing that it's not that you, you know being circumcised hurts you or anything it's if you if you intimate in any way that something in addition to faith in Jesus is required, then you dilute the gospel and you really discredit Jesus' finished work on the cross. Jesus wouldn't have come down here if we, and to save us and suffer all the indignities of human existence and separation from the Father if we could have saved ourselves by our own bootstraps or by following rules. And so that's what distinguishes Christianity from, I think, every other religion. Is it's not works based; it's faith based, and not faith plus works. Purely faith.
0: Is there is there a conflict? I mean, I, I think Luther thought there was a felt there was a conflict between uh, James. And yeah. Paul, and I—I th- I think for a while he actually wanted to take James out. Of, the guy I always love when people he did. Are editing the, that the, guy, yeah.
1: such a character. <laughs> yeah. But I did like the fact that he was a beer drinker. You can't <laughs> take that away. So, but, but no, and and they said he was anti-Semitic too. That's that's too bad because he was—he say he changed history in so many good ways. But uh, no, I think there's two possible explanations for that for the alleged contradiction between uh, Paul and James and and what i one is that when james uses the term justification um he's not he's using it in a different sense he's using it in the sense of sanctification because from what i've read from scholars you know justification is being declared legally righteous sanctification is after you're saved the holy spirit is indwelling you working within you enabling you to become to overcome sin on a daily basis you don't become sin free by virtue of your salvation you become declared Legally righteous, and so that when you die, you have salvation because God doesn't look upon your sins; He looks upon the veil of Christ, and so you're you're safe. But in the meantime, after you're safe, it's a daily walk where you're you're trying to experience spiritual growth by the exercise, the spiritual dip, disciplines, and that type of thing. The scholars that I've read in explaining this say. That what James was talking about was actually sanctification, and there's a synonym. I don't know what the Greek word is for justification. Two different uses. He was talking about sanctification. The other explanation is we all know in Christian doctrine that once you're saved, you the, you have the fruit of the Spirit. You should exhibit fruit of the Spirit. That is, you should show that you're more Christ-like by virtue of the Holy Spirit living within you. And so, if James said, "Show me faith," faith without works and I'll show you whatever he said is dead faith without works is dead well what he's really saying is if you don't exhibit any fruit of the spirit if you don't exhibit more christ-like behavior you probably weren't saved in the first place
0: yeah yeah, I mean, so, if you, yeah, yeah. because I mean if you believe in if you believe in gravity you don't walk off uh, the top of a building if you believe in Jesus you don't uh, act in certain ways it makes perfect yeah. sense do you, yeah. do you, do you feel I, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says um, you know, that before these days, before you tell people the good news, you have to tell them the bad news. Do you feel that uh, that, in other words, we're sinful? Do you feel it in the in the current moment that that's the message that people are missing, that people are missing the fact that there's something wrong with them? Or do they already know that and they just don't want to hear about it?
1: Well, that's an interesting question that I ponder, uh, especially when you look at today's left uh, who are promoting outright evil, objectively yeah. evil things, no. celebrating the murder of babies fentanyl across the board. Unbelievable stuff. And I attribute it to spiritual warfare. In the book of Ephesians, which we cover in this book, uh, Paul talks about the the, uh, spiritual forces and put on the full armor of God. We're not talking about ghosts and goblins. We're talking about actual spiritual forces behind the material uh, for uh, beings in this world who are pulling the strings. And I have no other explanation for the level and degree of evil than spiritual warfare and spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness on the part of people who are attacking the church from within and from without and who are doing these things in the culture, celebrating a gender confusion, which is a, an abomination to God's created order. And you guys at The Daily Wire have been, you know, champions of that theme and fought that that cultural blasphemy. And And so I, I think there's, there's no question that uh Jesus was was trying to himself say, I am the truth, follow the truth. I am the truth, and the gospel is presented as truth. And so the, the culture today is rejecting him in every way. It's rejecting what is ho- good and holy, what is good and wholesome. And I think, yes, people that many follow, there are a lot of people that are players. There are a lot of people that know what they're doing. I think Chuck Schumer and these people know what they're doing. But I think the rank and file of liberals and Democrats probably are unwitting followers of evil forces. And I do mean evil forces. I don't care how ridiculous I sound. I don't have any other explanation. You cannot reason with these people. You now now have these people who who, they make idolatry of the environmental movement, filling their God void with environmental insanity. And now to the point where you guys in California, well, you're no longer there, I guess, filling up gasoline, I mean, uh, charging uh, electric cars with powered uh, gas generators because the electric grid is, and, and they don't even see a con- they don't even see any reason to apologize. They lie. They're, they're, the the world's going to end in five years. It doesn't. Do they ever? Are they ever accountable? So I think a lot of people are unwittingly blind, uh, but some people know what they're doing. Either way, we have to fight them. And our goal, Andrew, in my view, is not to unite, not to reach across the aisle. You can't, if anybody thinks you can compromise with the left, which by the way, is the wholesale owner of the Democratic Party. There's no amount of extremism that will cause these Democrats to abandon the the left. And they're in control. And Biden, the puppet Biden, is being manipulated and controlled by the left. There's nothing you can do. Therefore, what what they're doing is outright, uh, contrary to everything we hold sacred. And so we have to fight them and defeat them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be winsome. That doesn't mean we shouldn't exhibit Christ-like behavior in the process. We don't hate them like they hate us. And boy, do they hate us. Boy, are they intolerant. Boy, do they distort the language. Inclusiveness means exclusive, excluding Christians and, and conservatives. Ben just got bumped from that podcast yeah. conference because it harmed them being in his presence. I got to make a point about this. It didn't harm them. And And don't. Call them snowflakes. They're not snowflakes. They're, they pretend to be. Snow, they're bullies. They're bullies who 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 are at war with the First Amendment. And saying they're harmed is preposterous. It, it, what, what kind of? I, I I almost I'm almost speechless at some of the insanity going I, on. No, I country. think we
0: we all are. I want to ask though. You, you the book is called The Resurrected Jesus, the Church in the New Testament. One of the the few things that sometimes gives me, uh, you know, makes me a little bit uh, depressed about our times is thinking about the church. When we say the church, we mean an entity, a sort of spiritual entity. What about the church today? What what would you recommend if you are in a church that you feel, uh, if you were inventing the church or reinventing the church or guiding the church, what is the guidance you would give it? First
1: place, how dare you ask me a question about the book when I'm ranting on <laughs> politics?
0: No, no, I love the, I actually love the rant. I, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, sorry, I'm, John Gregory's going to fire me now, uh, the publisher. No, but uh, no, I think there's so many parallels uh, between the, the, what is happening in the church today, the Methodist Church, my church, I, I don't, I don't claim it anymore. There's a schism. They're going to the, li- the left is going to totally blow up this church. The only reason. That it stayed together this long is because African. What what irony! African Methodists, there are nine million of them. There's only six million of I think of, of American ones. They're voting conservative stuff. The liberals want to want to you know just change everything on the gender and all this stuff and social justice, and they're they're going to force a split, and it's happening. But but what I think is, in, in more direct response to your question, I think we do need a great awakening in this country, uh, a revival, and. and you know, easier said than done. And we're, we're falling away from God, turning away from God. Someone asked me in an interview, do you think that God's now going to curse America because we've turned away? Well, I I don't think so because there's so many of us, whether you want to call us a remnant or not, I think we're way bigger. I actually think we're a majority, whether you want to call it, Chris, who are fighting for the right, but we don't have the levers of power. The digital oligarchies are dominating in collusion with the media. People get a a distorted feeling about what the truth is, about what majorities are. Propaganda occurs daily, and conservatives don't stand up against it strongly enough. For example, there's all this BS about uh, the left and the Democrats coming on, and they're going to win now in November. That is so ridiculous. There's only one way they win, (laughs) because that's that's if they cheat. And I'm not getting into all that, but I'm telling you they're not going to, they're, they're going to get their fanny smoked.
0: I agree with you. I agree. All right, I got to stop there. The book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament by David Limbaugh and his uh, daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. David, it's always great talking to you. I hope you'll come back again with the, the next in the series. i
1: You're the man. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot, David. All right, those growls, the footsteps, the stomping footsteps, those arc, orc-like snarls you hear, that is the armies of the Clavenless week uh coming to get you, uh, devour you, probably carry you off, enslave you. It's going to be ugly. Uh, so that is a good opportunity for me to remind you, please go on Amazon and pre-order A Strange Habit of Mind, the second book in the Cameron Winter Mystery Series. In return, if you do this, if you pre-order this, which will... Help uh, the publisher understand that we are there, that we will buy books, uh, and he, they will order more, and we have a chance of getting on a list, the bestseller list, and that will make this a series. Then this book will be a series. If you will do that, I won't. I won't ask you to do it for free. If you will do that, I will deliver one of the great American mystery story, series that there's ever been, and it will be written by one of us. So please go on and pre-order A Strange Habit of Mind. And as I said, if you're in uh, New York, Tuesday, uh, September 27th, uh, go to Socratesinthecity.com. I'll be talking to Eric Metaxas in his Socrates in the City uh, series, and we'll have a conversation there. And now, before the Clavenless Week begins, it is time for the mailbag.
2: Woo! You know how much I'm going to do with the depth this year? Yeah!
0: Yeah, good. I I put all my faith in, uh, what's what's his name again? Oh, Joe Biden. Uh, All right, from Austin. Clavin king of all uni and multiverses. I recently turned 30 years old. I have a beautiful wife, an amazing two-year-old daughter. I'm a Christian who believes that God is intimately involved with and in control of every detail of the universe, every life at all times. My question relates to to grief. Uh, Several years ago, my dad was killed in a car accident. I have become overwhelmed by chaos or the idea that my life is utterly out of control. I know it's out of my control, but the sudden seemingly random death of my dad left me second-guessing each step I took. I was a hypochondriac for several years, worried about inflicting the same pain of sudden loss on my loved ones if I died. My relationship with my mom has suffered of late as I'm reaping the rewards of detaching myself for years out of self-preservation, knowing that someday I'll lose her as well. I love her so much and can see the pain our relationship causes, but I seem unable to move towards fixing it uh, do you experience anything like this in your season of madness? Did you experience anything like this in your season of madness? I welcome any advice. All right. This is not a question of my advice. This is a question of your actions. There are things you have to do. You have to do them. There's a lot of stuff I didn't read in this, but a lot of excuses comparing yourself to St. Paul saying, I, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I want to do. No, you have to, there is stuff you have to do, uh, now, um, First of all, you got to go to your mom. You got to sit down with your mom and tell her why you have not been around. Just tell her. Explain it to her. She will understand. Tell her the emotional fact, the emotional problem you're having. Then you got to get some help. Uh, You know, you got to get some talk therapy help. Don't go to a psychiatrist. Go to a psychologist or a psychotherapist uh, who will talk to you Uh, because this is not, this is a curable thing. This is something that you can get past. And yes, in my season of madness, I had a, a terrible bout with hypochondria. It was absolutely paralyzingly painful. I talked it through. It went away. Uh, you get a good, like I said, good psychoanalyst, not a, not a psychoanalyst, a good psychotherapist uh, who will talk to you and you can get through this and digest this and process, you got to process your father's death and get through it. I will also tell you all one other story uh, not very long ago, you know, because I've reached that age where you start to think about the end and uh, I was sitting in a car. I was being driven in a car. The car made a left turn and there was a car that was stopped in front of us And I heard in my ear, I heard somebody say that a car is going to come around that car, it's going to broadside the car you're in, and it's going to kill you. And sure enough, as we made the turn, a car came speeding around this other car, straight at the car I was in, straight up to to it. It looked to me like it was a foot away. It looked to me like there was no chance of it turning away. It turned away. It missed the car. I was so shocked by it that I couldn't even tell my wife about it until the next morning. And I said to her, I think God was telling me, you will live until I say so. And I thought, that's all you get. That is all you get. This is true of you. It was true of your father. You will live until it's time for you to die. Go get some help. Go talk to your mom, first thing, and tell her why you have ignored her. Because that's the thing. that, if If she dies before you solve that, you are not going to be a happy camper. And there's no fixing that. So go fix that tomorrow. Do it right away. Don't sit around and ask for advice. Don't make excuses. Go do it. Go talk to her. Tell her why you're not seeing her and what is happening in your head and then go get that fixed all right from stella i guess dear hot gandalf in your last show you mentioned the jane austen Uh, is the only woman in the list of 10 greatest novelists. I take no issue with this statement. That is, after all, a truth universally acknowledged or should be if people actually knew how to appreciate good books. However, I'd love to know who else is on your list of great novels. First of all, let me just say that by great novelists, I don't mean a writer who has written a great novel, which is a tremendous feat, and many, many women have written written great novels. When I talk about a great novelist, what I'm saying is somebody whose vision uh, is so Uh, shattering and uh, transformative that novel after novel after novel that he writes or she writes or in in Jane Austen's case she writes uh, is is important. It matters. Not that every novel is great, but every novel matters and you want to read more and more of those novels. So novelists who are like that, and this is not a complete list and it's probably uh, English laden because I read English and I love English novels best, but Tolstoy would be one. Russian novelist Dostoevsky would certainly be another. Charles Dickens would, of course, be one. Uh, Jane Austen, of course. Uh, uh, Trollope, uh, conservatives who like Dickens should read Trollope. If they ha- if they don't, he is a really wonderful novel. Henry James was a novelist like that. Zola, I think, is a novelist like that. Maybe Marquez, Gabriel uh, Garcia Marquez. I think of, of Americans. I would probably say Steinbeck and Saul Bellow. Uh, and and there there are others, but there are not many. You know, there's not a hundred of them like that. There's not that many. And Jane Austen is the only woman that I can think of, even though, as I say, uh, you know, uh, Jane Eyre is a wonderful book written by a woman, Middlemarch, a wonderful book written by a woman, but not in that category of novelist whose visions uh, were just so important that, uh, that novel after novel matters. Uh, from John, if somehow you became president of the U.S., and that would be a true disaster by but I mean, if it weren't if it weren't for my wife, I would be living in a dumpster. You know, I'm I'm like I, like artists are like uh, special needs kids. Somebody has to take care of them. But if you became president of the U.S. and you had to give your fellow da- Daily Wire hosts Ben, Candace, Michael, Matt, and Jeremy as well positions in your administration. What positions would you give them and why? Uh, Also, I am an all-access member and enjoy listening to your podcast. The points you make are like a telepathic air freshener. They make you think about them the more sense—the more you think about them, the more sense they make. Um, Well, thank you. Um, So, Candace— uh, definitely press secretary. I just saw Candace. She looks beautiful uh, after giving birth uh, to her baby. She looks wonderful, but she would be able to rip the press to pieces. I mean, that's why she would be my press secretary. We'd like, go get her, you know, take her off the leash. Like, go get him, Candace, go. Go. You know, so be, that would be great. Uh, Knowles, uh, I think, would be my chief of staff uh, because he could bring that kind of Machiavellian, Italian, slip a stiletto into people who are trying to come in to see you. Um, who else? Uh, Ben, you know, I think Ben, I would make the attorney general. I think he would be great because he'd be incorruptible, uh, but he'd be relentless. I mean, the only worry I'd have is he would try to indict me. But uh, aside from that, I think he would make an excellent attorney general. Uh, Jeremy, I think I would appoint uh, a cardinal in the Catholic Church in the 17th century. Uh, first, because of his deep love of Catholicism. <laughs> I, hope, I hope he doesn't listen to this this episode of the show. Uh, but also because, uh, no, he, w- he would be a great power behind the throne. Jeremy's a guy you'd want in your ear. You'd want him to be able to have access to you and to be talking to you all the time. So maybe I'd make him secretary of state or something like that. Uh, he'd also be great at that. But I'd want him talking to me. I wouldn't make any of them... Um, vice president because they would kill me in my sleep. Matt Walsh, uh, I would make a secretary of tormenting sexually dysphoric people. That would just be his entire job. <laughs> his entire job would just be, are you sexually dysphoric? And then he would come to your home and just uh, mentally torment you. Um, All right, I I have time for one more. Uh, From Jenny, uh, I have a question about evangelism. I understand the Bible teaches the need to evangelize, but I'm not a natural evangelist. I'm extremely introverted, neurotic, and and agreeable. I've been taught I need to dump the Roman road or some other evangelism technique on people. I understand we have to change sinful aspects of our nature, but this seems to greatly disagree with who I am. It's driving me insane. Literally, anyway, do you have any tips about this? How do you view evangelism? Thanks. Don't let it drive you insane. God has a purpose for you. It may not be uh, open evangelism. It's not for me. Uh, you know, I I I think it would just irritate people to constantly be telling them, oh, have you found Jesus? You know, it's it's not the way that changes people lives. What I do is I just say what I think is true. If I think something is true and it involves Jesus, I say it. I'm never embarrassed by him. I'm never afraid to say it, but I'm not going into people's faces. Uh, you know, St. Paul talks about this. He says everybody has a different role to play. Everybody has a different job, a different power. Don't feel. Don't feel that you're being called to something that you're not being called to. Find out what you were being called to. Put the question to yourself in a positive, in a positive way. What am I being called to do? And then do that. Don't, don't torment yourself. God doesn't want you tormenting yourself. That's not the point. Uh, he wants you to have the joy that's in him to be in you. So if you're f- following the joy, you'll be following the path, uh, to Christ. And if you're I'm not saying follow happiness, I'm not saying follow pleasure, I'm saying follow that deep feeling of yes, this is a good thing, this is good to be alive, I'm glad God made me and I'm making God proud of me. It doesn't have to be evangelism, find out what you are meant to do and stop worrying about this. Uh, I gotta stop there, that means that you are, many of you will now be plunged into the Clavenless Week which is absolutely a despairing, terrible, fatal, really thing to have happen. However, if you're a subscriber, the show will continue for a little bit. Uh, there is a member block. In that member block, I will be talking about how you should approach uh, a movie career, if that's something that you want, how you can start to uh, evolve that career. I get this letter asked me all the time. I've been talking about how you can evolve a literary career in the members block. This is about the movie specifically. So all you got to do is click the link in the description and join us for the member block. And if you're not a member, subscribe.